Yeah, here, we're fine. Have you ever felt emotions? Then do we have the podcast for you. Feel Feelings is a weekly podcast where comedians Danny Getz and George Bruderman sit down with some of the funniest, emotionally distraught people, i.e. comedians, they know, and talk feelings. Every Friday, hear very funny people reminisce on Ren and Stimpy, worry about the Wizard of Oz, and emote over their emo phase. Check out Feel Feelings with Danny and George, a show about feelings and the things that make you feel them. What's going on, everybody? Mike here from Get in the Garage, here once again with... I'm Luke. Luke. Um, Welcome. We're very excited to bring you the second part of our Deep Purple series spanning... The deepest purple. The deepest purple, yes. Um, if you remember from last week, uh, just a quick recap, we covered kind of the very beginnings of Deep Purple from uh, Shades of Deep Purple all the way through from Mach 1, or Mark 1, I should say, to Mark 2 uh, with Ian Gillen up to the Fireball album. So Fireball comes out uh, and then Machine Head. Machine Head is the album to follow. Um, and it's, I mean, one of the greatest albums, one of the greatest hard rock albums of all time. It's like, okay, I definitely, uh, agree with that sentiment. Um, but I, you know, I hadn't spun it in a while. It'd been maybe like a year since I listened to it, man. I put that thing on and I was just like, every song I was like grinning ear to ear. It's (laughs) just, it's a really great record and probably deep purple's best written i feel like the lyrics uh for them are all like everything's just coming together on yeah that one i yeah i would agree it's uh it's just such a fun record to listen to yeah it's you know it, it definitely is um it just really diving into this deep purple story again as well i mean really getting to listen to deep purple again in such a uh you know head-on way has just really opened me up to like different opinions on it because me and mike were really into deep purple in our i mean i'm not like super you know our earlier 20s i'd say yeah Um, for sure and now that i'm nearing my late 20s um i feel a different way about some of the stuff i listen to i'm like oh i don't like that as much or i like that way more so it's been really exciting to to listen and you know really rediscover them i think yeah oh yeah 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 absolutely and especially because like they they have such an interesting story in the way that it's just a crazy story you know what i mean like there's just so many members that are coming in and out but so what's what's interesting is that so much would so much more or so many more things would happen as a result of Deep Purple existing. In other words, like... Yeah, other bands, the other styles yeah. of music. Yeah, absolutely. The crazy thing about this band too, man, is like, what other band like can you really think of that has had three incarnations that mm. have all been incredibly successful? Yeah. Like, th- and that's... I'm talking like replacing singers, bass players. It's yeah, like, usually the singer replacement is kind of like the death of the, the death. band. And they did it three times yeah. <laughs> and it's they're just like they 
you know yeah they keep on trucking man yeah man absolutely so uh machine head kind of also has an interesting story right so it uh, was they all came out to mantra um they... <laughs> the lake geneva shoreline <laughs> that's that's exactly what happened to make records with a mobile yep i don't think they had much time no i they were listen time you had to value your time back then, you know, because you're always touring. Swiss time was running out, bro. Swiss time, listen, you know, I don't know if you know the like time exchange rates or anything, but Swiss time is worth less than American time, so it passes quicker, you see. <laughs> so if you don't know what me and Mike are stupidly referencing, <laughs> uh, we're telling the story of the album Machine Head, um, which is told in the the song Smoke on the Water, which yeah. is the story of how they recorded that record. Yeah. Um, Mike, how did what happened? Tell us about it. Well, uh, it's tell us about that. Smoke on the water is kind of funny too because it's like he's literally telling you what happened. Well, you know, also maybe before we even do that, man, like let's. I was curious of this. Was Smoke on the Water your first Deep Purple thing that you knew? Oh, absolutely. Even even as a guitar, uh, or I should say, as especially as a guitar player. I think we talked about this like a little bit last week, but like that song in this band. I mean, in America, I don't know if this is like an American thing too, or if this is like an everywhere thing hmm. with Deep Purple. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Is Smoke on the Water like just so? Because it's bigger than the band. It's way bigger than the band. Oh, I think. definitely. Yeah. It's. I mean, I think I would. In other words, I would put Smoke on the Water up there with like dum if, dum dum dum. Oh yeah. Dum 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 dum. Like yeah. that's what I think. It's like it's on that level. Yeah. Because everybody knows it. Like, if you went to, you know, you went downtown right now and you were just like, smoke in the water, hum me it, they'd be like, bum, bum, bum. Everybody yeah. knows it. If at the very least they didn't know the title, upon hearing it, they would at least recognize it. You know, it's one of the most recognized, like, melodies. I, I, I think that's, like, just a testament to Deep Purple. Yeah, that riff, and to Richie Blackmore, yeah, too. Yeah, Richie man. Blackmore, man. Like, that riff Can is we just so talk about Richie iconic. Blackmore, man? Like, for real? For real, for I can, real. can I tell you, I the more I listened, the more I fell in love all over again with his style of playing. Yeah, it's so different because you think about it, man, and like he was he was doing things on guitar, like these really fast licks and stuff around the same time that, say, maybe Jimmy Page does. Mm-hmm. And like you watched like the Jimmy Page Madison Square Garden. It's amazing. It's Listen, great. I'm not, I'm not, this is a no way to, to say anything, to speak ill of Jimmy Page. However... However, he is slop jalop all over the place. Okay, yeah, when mu- he plays live, he's just is, is muddy, muddy and sloppy. And not. And I'm what I'm saying is, is I respect guitar players in the way that they play because it's their style, and that's why I love Jimmy Page. Right, because like, he, he's do- that guy. He does. Jimmy Page plays like Jimmy Page better than anybody plays. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you can't copy Jimmy Page. Right. But on the other hand. But yeah, Richie Blackmore, very much like a precision player. He could shred. He could do kind of these cascading sort of classical scales, which Jimmy Page, you could hear him kind of like in no quarter. You can kind of hear where he does a little bit of these minor scales and stuff, but not in the way that that Richie Blackmore is doing. Because Richie Blackmore is basically like, I'm playing Bach yeah. on guitar. Which is very, very different than, you know, throwing in some... Almost too, like, uh, maybe, like, at the end of Dazed and Confused, where, like, you know, Jimmy Page yeah. is, is, almost, is playing out of, like, soloing out of key. Yeah, Like, yeah, kind yeah. of thing, trying to reach for that thing. And, like, Blackmore's just, like, got every, you know, yeah. thing in, in the back of his pocket. And he's playing so fast, so articulate, so yeah. clean. And I think the thing with Blackmore is, too, is that Blackmore could play you the same complicated solo the same way every time. Well, Whereas, I don't know if Jimmy Page... 
would yeah, totally man. be able to do that. Not that I don't think he nailed certain kind of landmarks in solos. Like for people who like play guitar, who listen, they'll mm-hmm. know. Like you know, like if you're if you're if you're looking at a guitar solo in front of you, there are certain little melodic lines that kind of stand out. So as well, long as you hit those, then the stuff in between you can. Even kind though, of, man, okay, I. Everybody that listens to this, go listen to Highway Star. Go listen to the double-tracked guitar solo, which, I mean, I'm not just saying this, guys. Highway Star is my favorite guitar solo of all time. It's so good. I mean, you you hear the double tracks of the... When he's like bends up twice in the second time around. And then when he's doing the 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 run at the end, the yeah. and that's but all, hitting you with those triplets that you'll all, come as fine. Oh yeah, at the like end, later metal like the, even on the way down too. Where, like exactly. The, come the, on. Yeah, the uh, the upward triplets, and then he does the double time going down triplets. Yeah. It's and if you listen, guys, that's double tracked. And if you don't know what that means, when you're recording a guitar. Um, in the studio, you can record it once and then put another layer of it over, and that will thicken up your tone. Right. Um, another great double track guitar player. This is veering off a little bit, but if you're trying to listen to that sound, uh, Randy Rhodes was a master oh, yeah. at double tracking his guitar. I I'd heard somewhere I don't know if this is true or not, but it's um, I had heard that he would uh, like track it four times. Oh yeah, twice in each speaker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is like come on, it's amazing. But um. Back to Deep Purple, back to Highway Star, back to Machine Head. Yeah. Um, what we're really saying is I feel like Richie Blackmore's at his peak. He's got his style. I feel like the band's got their peak style yeah. right here. This is the most Deep Purple record yeah. of all time. And I think this is where especially Richie Blackmore is like solidified as like, if you want to call it guitar, guitar god. god. Yeah. <laughs> he becomes a guitar. This is where he joins the pantheon. Yeah, you def- definitely. You know. So, um, um, so Machine Head is, uh, it's a huge success too. Yeah. So tell it's, us, tell us, well, tell us the story of it. Like, let's, let's get into it. We were talking about Smoke on the Water. Yeah. So the origin how story. How did they work? How did this album come to be? Cause they're on tour for Fireball. Then what happened? Yeah. So they're in Switzerland. And so most of the album is recorded in the Montreux Casino. And why did they choose that location? That I don't know. Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah, bro. It's a story of smoke in the water. Let me tell you, everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Let well, no, because I thought, because they recorded the song Smoke on the Water at a different location. Oh, did they? Yeah. Well, this is a story I had heard. Um, when Deep Purple were looking for a location to record Machine Head, they had already had all the songs written out yep. for the most part because they actually appear uh, before on... Uh, or maybe like a little bit after I'm made in Japan because mm-hmm. those were out during that time. <clears throat> they had had that stuff written. Um, so when they went to go record, if you listen to the song Smoke on the Water, they were going to record at the uh, Mantra Casino, which is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that. There's a bunch of live uh, DVD recordings from Mantra. Yeah. Um, so they were going to record in there because they had all the stuff set up. They were going to get the uh, Rolling Stones mobile truck. Yeah. To come in, and that's where they were going to record. Because they were on tour and they were busy, they thought just doing it at the venue was a great idea. Yeah. Right, on the go. Um, so they got the Rolling Stones mobile truck out there. They were going to record. Um, but the night before, uh, Frank Zappa was in town with the Mothers. Yep. And someone with a flare gun in the audience shut it off and burnt the casino to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um and that's what the song I mean not that I'm the left. No, it's it's a great it's a crazy story. Yeah. It's amazing. And then that's how Smoke on the Water was written. It was written after that had happened. Yeah. And then they ended up in the Swiss hotel. 
Yes. So okay. that yeah. smoke on the wall. I, I'm not sure if all of the album was recorded in the Swiss motel where they had went, but um, I'm I'm fairly positive that most of Machine Head was recorded there. Yeah, and I think Smoke on the Water. Uh, that's the only track that wasn't recorded there. It okay. was recorded in uh, at what's called the Pavilion Theater. Okay, so they in ended Montreux. up using that idea of yeah. the pavilion it was still. like yeah it was like a uh, like an abandoned theater that they just recorded in but okay. then they got booted out by the cops it was like a whole big thing oh okay so i bet you after that they ended up going to the yeah yeah so that's that's pretty interesting yeah yeah oh no yeah it's the it was the oh i did write it down see this thank guy, you past mike this yeah guy the grand here. hotel the the terriet yes the terrier guys over here mike's guys mike's got some notes we we jot notes down i'm going top of the head over here yeah you're going he's going rogue i don't know with 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 uh the purple i I don't know we prefer to go off the tops of our heads but this is kind of like a cataloging of a band and stuff too so not that we want to go on and on about statistics and notes and stuff like that but you know we're trying to give you a full story you know and again i mean machine head itself yeah it was it was hugely successful yeah like that i mean it was number one in the uk number seven in the u.s and then number one in canada yeah, I mean, and so I mean, that's a big. Let's talk major Deep Purple songs on this record too. Uh, maybe I'm a Leo, uh, Space Truckin', Highway Star, Smoke yeah. on the Water, uh, Lazy, Lazy. That you know the his uh, probably his greatest guitar solo. Yeah, you know, and that's Deep Purple at your bluesiest. Like that's a good that's a good one too because we were really uh, talking a, a lot last week about how Deep Purple kind of took the blues out of out of heavy rock yeah but that's that's their one where they were they were really going to town yeah they put it back in yeah it it, and it's and it's great i mean you got you know highway highway star great guitar solo you got smoke on the water probably the greatest riff you have space trucking uh probably one of the greatest live songs ever oh and they do that that like chromatic like oh my gosh it's so good it's amazing man I, I mean, if me and Mike sound like we are like, you know, just so head over heels for this record, it's because it's just, it shines so much. Yeah. And it's, it's probably so one of the greatest examples of a heavy rock record. So if you are familiar with Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, I would uh, equate Deep Purple's Machine Head to Paranoid and Zeppelin too, probably. Yeah, you know, because that's probably like the statements of those bands at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I, f- I feel like mach- like Machine Head was uh, was theirs. Yeah, so but the difference being though, Zeppelin two second Zeppelin album, Paranoid uh, Black Sabbath second album, Machine Head, uh, Deep Purple's what? Where ways in sixth album? Also released yeah. released later than those other bands too. I believe Zeppelin two is seventy, and I believe Paranoid is also seventy. I think it is seventy. Yeah. yeah. So or Paranoid might be seventy one. Either way, either way, either way, it's, yeah, whatever. Um, but Deep, anyway, Deep Purple's killing it. Deep Purple's killing so, it. So with this great success, as most bands, where it happens when they reach like this crazy success, they things start to get a little bit rough. And I think this this was a turning point for them in terms of their success. But then that, but that the, things started getting a little bit weird. I think because I think egos really started getting involved, especially especially with Richie Blackmore. I feel like all those things you're talking about, though, really set them, uh, set them up for being one of the greatest live bands of their time in oh, that era. Absolutely, yeah. You can't that can't be denied, of course. Because... So I feel like what goes hand in hand with Machine Head is their live album. Yeah, Made in Japan. So, you know, I feel like. 
once that album comes out, Machine Head, they really just come out swinging. Um, if they so they were at a hotel where they recorded that. Um, and I don't know if people really think about what being in a band's like, but you're with these people all the time, twenty four seven. You're playing shows. You're in the van. You're going to the next place. You're in the. You're on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like by this point, Deep Purple had been going so hard that they were so close to each other and maybe so angry at each other <laughs> yeah. and so aggressive. Made in Japan, when I put that album on, I mind blown. It's so good. Now, you if you listen to Machine Head and we just talked up that album, pretty great. Yeah. You're going to put on Made in Japan and it's going to, you're going to be like, oh, that band probably can't get any better than that when I just listened to a Machine Head. And you'd be wrong. Yeah, Made yeah. in Japan <laughs> is one of the most classic live albums of all time. Yeah. I like I said last week too, I think it comes right after Live at Leeds for me. That's what I'm like. Live at Leeds, Made in Japan. Yeah. What other they're so what makes Deep Purple's Made in Japan so great is that there's controlled chaos. Um the jamming that they're doing in here. I mean, Space Trucking's a whole side. It's twenty minutes long. I mean, it's no joke. But what's happening in here is you have the structure of the song that's already that's a foundation, and then they would have these parts where it where I imagined it wasn't specifically talked about, but they're like, okay, here's a structure. We're gonna play this little riff, and then we're gonna go into this jam section, and this jam section goes like this. But when you get to that jam section, it's kind of a free for all, and this band's really just going at it and it's not going at it the way cream was going at it where they were playing against each other yeah this band was a powerful single unit where they were helping and guiding and listening to each other to play a because they're playing fast they're not like they're they're playing like you know like it's fast guys and that's and it's um the Power and precision in this band is amazing. And let's talk to the live album too, because we know a lot of live albums, everybody gets overdubbed in the studio Mm -hmm. and they get doctored up. There's fake crowd noise, you know, all the guitars polished, they redo the vocals. Made in Japan is one of those albums that is perfect and it's not touched at all yeah zero overdubs zero zero there what the, the band thinks there was they went back and listened to it when they released it none right because john lord had said in like an interview one time i guess i had read that he uh he said in one interview where uh i think they do, do they should do they do strange kind of woman on that right yeah that i guess there was one at one point ian gillen had tripped over his mic cable and like screwed up the words so then they pulled just a snippet of his vocal track from another live oh, album okay. and like patched it over. Um, but that's never been... Because I, re- I read confirmed. that story too, but yeah. I had read that when they looked back, they, they couldn't find oh, it. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, Which probably. is, it's amazing. So also this album too, it's, it's this is, like we're not just talking this up like and people, a lot of people think this album is great. Yeah. Um, when it came out though, it was only released in Japan. The record company was like, you guys got a good footing there. We're just going to do a, a little double live. And they were like, we're not interested at all in doing a double live yeah, or a live album at all. So that's why this album wasn't touched and doctored up, you mm. know, but it didn't need it. It sounds amazing. But right. had, had they been interested, I'm sure they would have doctored it. Almost every band that releases a live album does. The only one I can't, I can think of that didn't was uh, the who live at live at Leeds. Oh, right. Also not doctored. But um, this was only released in Japan. 
because they had a little footing there. Um, and it was such a good seller. It was getting imported everywhere. And the record company's like, guys, we got we to just release it. It's going to be a big... And it was a huge seller for them. Yeah. This was a great album, um, a great double live. And it's just... And, I mean, really, let's talk about it. The, I, like, the the fact that, like, the double live album, yeah. that was a thing. Yeah. You know, like, double live Gonzo. You know, like, the Ted Nugent double live album. I, you get Frampton Comes Alive. I don't know. If, yeah, Frampton Comes Alive was a double live album, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think this is before that, even. I right, think this right. Is, or right around that era where this was, like, very popular. This to, is 72, I think. Yeah, 72. This so, 72. I would say before, it's before that era. Yeah. Yeah, so. Ish. Yeah, because I think I think the Double Live Gonzo. Oh no, Double Live Gonzo. Oh, was that's a little way bit later. later. Yeah, that that's was like, like 78. 77, 78, right? 78, 79, around yeah. there. Um, what the only other Double Live that I could think that might be this early is the band's Rock of Ages from their New Year's Eve show. Oh, okay. Nineteen seventy. That's yeah. when it was recorded. I think it was released a bit later, though. Yeah, but um, either way, like the 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 big huge rock Double Live album. Yeah, this, this is, is it. Like this is the, the start. Essential. Yeah, and. Let's just talk to for like uh obviously space trucking is the epic like end jam. It's twenty minutes long. It's amazing. Listen to it. But um you also got the mule on here, which is uh Ian Pace's drum solo. Um you have Lazy, which is uh the guitar solo for Richie Blackmore, which yep. is you know, like just a kind of solo guitar going for a while. Um you know, Child in Times, Ian Gillen. Everybody gets a, everybody really gets to shine on this record. Yeah. And I mean, it's just got a special place in my heart. What I like about the way they play live, too, is... Uh, and, too, I think this album really made them uh, reevaluate themselves as a live band. Because I think yeah. after this came out, they were everybody was like, oh, my God. And they were like, oh, yeah. No, no, we knew. We're that good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And I think it gave yeah. them confidence as a, as a band. Yeah. Because when you move over to Mark III a little later on, I feel like that's, that confidence is it's right there and they know it yeah but um so this really sets mark uh mark two up for you know this is why they're the they're the most popular i would say the most popular the most well recognized version of deep purple um i feel like it's because uh those two albums specifically really is uh machine head and made in japan that was really is what sets them apart from any other version of deep purple and it's not just because that maybe they sold more. I just think they're they're whatever the statement Deep Purple was trying to make. I feel like that was their strongest because um, mm-hmm. you have Blackmore. Just like it's the style of Blackmore's playing with John Lord. Because even when we move over to Mark Three, uh, I find that they stop kind of playing. Um, like the Bach-y, uh yeah. classically. Yeah, things they, get funkier. Yeah, they get funkier and they they move away from that. Which. Yeah. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but I mean, it. I, I when I reevaluated, it, I found that I liked it for different reasons. Yeah. Um. So, Mike, talk to me about what happens after like all the success of the of these records. Well, seventy two. Okay, so like seventy two, the seventy two tour, it was kind of rough, right? So, like, I mean, you figure Machine Head comes out in seventy one. It's this huge commercial success. So they're like, all right, well, we got to go on tour for this. The tour actually, right in the like right in the beginning, Richie Blackmore gets hepatitis. Okay. Okay, and he can't like he's kind of like down and out. He's hurting, so they play one show with no guitar player. 
Oh, really? They did play. There exists. I don't know if it was recorded or not. I, but w- I would love to hear that. Just that would be John Lord like ripping it up. Yeah, the whole with show. no with no guitar, you know. Uh, and then they Al Cooper was considered. Oh, really? To, yeah, to come in and play to play guitar to fill in for oh, Blackmore. Al Cooper. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because he, I when I think of him, I think of him more as a keys player, organ player. Yeah. Yeah, but, well, he ended up not even playing the show with the band anyway. He rehearsed with them, like, one time. He splits, and then Randy California comes in, plays one show with them in Quebec. And Randy California's from what band? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, this guy I over know, here. I'm Spirit, sorry. bro. Spirit. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come I'm on. sorry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I knew that I knew it. I just couldn't remember it. Uh, but, yeah, Spirit. Sidebar. Spirit. They won that lawsuit, didn't they? No, I don't think they I did. Thought eventually, I thought they finally did. No, I think it's still in litigation. Is it? Yeah, we're talking about the Stairway to Heaven uh, yes. court case right now. Yeah. But um, no, anyway. I, I believe it's uh, still in litigation. Is it? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so the, the tour's canceled then. But then they, they re- luckily, that was early in 1972. So yep. in, in May, I guess Blackmore, he's okay. Uh, he, he feels better. And then... They returned to the U.S. in May, and then uh, in J- in August of '72, they go to Japan, and that's where they record. Okay, made that's where they record made in Japan. Yeah, right on. Um, so after this, here's this this giant that's Deep Purple now. You know, they're huge. They're I, internationally. I mean, they're a huge band. So. Are, Naturally, are, do, you, do you think they they're they're touring themselves out over here? They're getting burnt out. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, that's that's how it would seem to me. Not only that, but like also considering how much they were touring and how much they were working together trying to make music and stuff. Like you said, I mean, eventually everything gets tense. People start button heads. Well, you know what I think is interesting too about Deep Purple. I think a lot of people don't uh, take into consideration. Deep Purple starts nineteen sixty eight, and yeah. were a band kind of like before that. So. If you're talking like Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, I know we keep referencing. We're, these are the big three guys, right? Yeah, for, yeah. From the time if, if that we, you don't, if you, I never heard that uh, phrase. The big three is the reference to the big three bands that started uh, heavy metal, heavy British metal, heavy yeah. metal. Yeah. Um. So compared to those other bands, though, though uh, Black Sabbath and Zeppelin were new bands. Were fairly yeah. new at those times, right? Where Purple had already released, you know. Uh, so many records yeah. uh uh three with mark one uh the the live with the orchestra uh in rock fireball machine head live in japan it would be think about it's it this way way more records than the two sabbath albums you had out of that it, ton- it, that Deep purple is like what would what led zeppelin would be if all four members were also in the yardbirds yeah correct. Do you know what i'm saying yeah. it's like that it's like if it was the same band that like maybe two people got swapped out or something. I mean, Led Zeppelin was literally called the New Yardbirds at one point, right? You know, so. Um, but however, that being said, th- there's still a difference there in comparison to like the Deep Purple, right? Because I mean, Zeppelin was a new band pretty much because he was the only remain. Um, Page was the only remember uh, remaining Yardbird, right? From that period, but right, right, yeah. So they had a much longer. Uh, they had been a band much, much, much longer, and I feel like it was. It was probably getting to them. Yeah. Especially like like back in those days too. I'm sure they it sounds – touring sounds fun until you like really listen to what they're – like the people are telling you. They're like, yeah. you don't go home 
uh, you are always uncomfortable and you're just always moving. So I can imagine that you're just a musical workhorse, man. Yeah, that's what it really is. Um, So there's a lot of pressure for management at this point, right? They're like, hey, look, not only do you have, you know, within within a year, not only do you have a machine head, their most commercially successful album, and then you get made in Japan, which is also a huge success. So naturally, management, the record company's like, hey, listen, get back into the studio. We need more hits. Yep. This is where things start to break a little bit for them. This is where issues start. Uh, there's this pressure and all that. Um, you know, they release Who uh, Who Do We Think We Are in 1973. That's the follow-up album to Machine Head. Um, and it does okay. What... Uh- did you find like any cool, interesting like like tidbits about like were they like bickery when they were making this record, or was it kind of like or was it bickery I, this whole tour into I, that record? I don't I don't really know specifics. However, just based off of other view, interviews that I've seen with musicians who have been involved musically with Richie Blackmore specifically, uh, that he just had an ego the size of you know whatever, and he was just kind of like he didn't he disrespected fans. He was like not really like well, a great guy. Have, you know? I mean, like, me and you have sat together and watched many a Deep Purple live video. Yeah, and, um, he comes off as like very almost almost like punkish because yeah. he's like he'll be like aloof, like he'll just turn his back to the crowd. Yeah, and just start making noise and yeah. like stop playing or like <laughs> uh, the playing like an intro riff. He'll just like half it. You know, he's like meh. Yeah. And I, I can see that as probably getting a little fed up from the rest of the band kind of thing. I know that there that uh, obviously like Ian Gillen, I think, had a problem with that. But I think uh, the the headbutting happened between uh, Blackmore and uh, Roger Glover. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Because um, so. OK, well, let's just say. So who do we think we are comes out in 1973. Woman from Tokyo is the huge hit on that. That's the single that they get from the album. Uh, but the album itself, it, it reaches number four in the UK, but it it only hits 15 in the US. Yeah, so not as big as a follow-up. So granted, I mean, we'll just say that in, in comparison to Machine Head, where it was number one in the UK and number seven in the US. So I consider, you know, consider it amount lower. But this one was just another notch down where it was like, nah, it was only number four in the UK. Oh, can I tell you a fact I read the other day? Yeah. Too, while we were, you know, doing all this Deep Purple stuff. Uh, I heard, uh, I think it was in the US in 1973, they were one of the top selling artists still from, you know, Made in Japan, oh, yeah? Machine Head, and yeah, the yeah. new album that had come out. I did read that where they had been one of the top selling albums, if not the, or the top selling band of 1973, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh no! Absolutely. I mean, they they they. So, like you know, context it didn't do as well, but they were still a very uh, in demand band. Yeah. Well, and then so so that comes out, and then of course they go on tour, right? Because that's what you know. That's music, baby. Oh, like you release an album, you but, go on tour. Before we talk about the tour, for who do we think we are? Uh, the album. Um. Oh my gosh! Let's talk about the re- a real stinker because me and Mike like to talk about stinkers. Hold on, we got connection issue here, guys. I'm sorry. Oh connection issue guys okay we're you back connected yeah we're good we're good okay we're back but um so me and mike listen guys we love deep purple and we're not you know we'll we'll poo poo what we think is bad and yeah. uh i'm about to tell you one uh <laughs> and i'm about to poo poo 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about to lay some truth on uh, Mary Long. Probably one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Incredibly stupid. On any record. Incredibly by stupid. By any band. I went back and I listened to it and I had it and I was playing it at home. And we were just, you know, we were like making breakfast in the morning. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's, you know, because I just like to throw them on. You know? Yeah, like Woman from Tokyo kicks on and I was like, yeah. Yeah, right? It's a like, rocker. It's good, Oh, I man. love my Woman from Tokyo. Yeah. Great song. Um, and then Mary Long comes after that and it's funny. I was like. <laughs> it um, takes like all. All it like just drains my energy out of wanting yeah. to listen to the rest. I was of it. in the other room. I was doing something, and all of a sudden, my wife is just like, "What the hell is he singing about?" Yeah, what? like so. Basically, I he brought. Ri- let's talk about the the wonderful. Well, I think we could leave it at this. There is the chorus line in the song rhymes stupidity with virginity. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to say that's all we need to say that's so all you need to give know. it a listen guys not saying that this is a bad record i enjoy it i just you know everything's got everything's got a couple of stinkers on it guys everything's got a couple of stinkers just like me and you didn't like uh uh anyone's daughter off of uh fireball you yeah, know same, right, right, same right, deal right. not that i think the rest of this is bad is you know because yeah, as i continued listening it did get better but yeah you know yeah, but not my favorite. No, De- um, definitely on the uh, on the outs there. So they go on tour, and you know, uh, seventy three. Um, they did two tours in seventy three. Um, the but at the end of the second tour uh, of Japan, uh, Gillen quits. Yep, he leaves, and He's then out. and then Glover gets kicked out by Blackmore. Even <laughs> though, even though, from what I've had seen. Glover had, was Glover already, was outs, he was right? planning to leave anyway. Yeah, yeah. he was, he was, he was like, with Gillen. Yeah, he's he, like, I'm getting out of here, man. I'm not doing this anymore, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so um, then they get Glenn Hughes to come in. Glenn Hughes. Um, of the band Trapeze. Yes, who also had. What? Isn't cover, isn't, uh, who else comes into the band at this point? Isn't he also in that band? Isn't Coverdale in that band? Coverdale. Oh yes. Okay. So, well, Glenn Glenn Hughes comes in to play bass. Okay. And they think he, he like he might fill the vocal oh, okay. part of the band, right? Uh, but they had a couple of other ideas of which direction they wanted to go to. So meanwhile, you have a band called Free, mm-hmm. right, featuring Paul Rogers as the vocalist. Yep. Who uh, Paul Rogers, more famously in Bad uh-ish. Company. Yeah, Bad Company, and then more recently, uh, uh, yeah, he sang for Queen for a hot minute. Um, but this is in the very beginning of uh, Bad Company becoming a band. Yeah, so and, like Free had just broken up. Yeah, right. So he was in, he was kind of uh, in transition and stuff. And for those of you who don't know, Bad Company was the first band signed to Swan Song Records, which was Jimmy Page's record label. Yep. Bad Company was that first band. So Paul Rogers is kind of like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to try to like see yeah, this I got, Bad Company I got a pretty thing. sweet deal going yeah, on Yeah, I got, here. you know, I'm hooking up with Jimmy Page and I got something else going on. So then in comes David Coverdale. Okay. So originally, though, they were like, Glenn, you're going you're gonna to handle the bass and the singing yeah but then they realized that maybe they wanted a little more texture in it and so they brought the band back to what the the same uh configuration yeah sure with a different singer and a different bass player yeah exactly okay so Um, this brings us to uh the 1974 tour mark four no No, we're on mark three guy mark Mark three so mark 1974 i had the four in my head so mark three guys 
let's just give you a straight introduction of these band members. We have Ian Pace still on drums. We have John Lord still on the organ. We have Richie Blackmore still on the guitar. And we yep. have new members, Glenn Hughes on, on the bass, bass and David Coverdale doing vocal duties. So they go out on a 74 tour. Mike, do they got an album to tour behind? Um, they, yes. Yeah, right? So, so well, actually, before we kind of get, you know, I keep we, I keep throwing this back here. We keep going for it. I keep throwing this back. But um, I think that Deep Purple could only continue on because of the success of Mark II. Like we were saying, like Machine Head comes out. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Made in Japan. Amazing. Yep. You know, and then, uh, you know, My Woman from Tokyo is a big single off the Who Do We Think We Are album. So they were still a viable band who who were uh, able to book shows and people were still interested. So Yeah, and they were definitely riding the... The, the like, coattails the, of Mark II, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Just as though that Mark II rode the coattails of Mark I, which is interesting. You know, yeah. each band kind of sets up the next band. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same band. So yeah. um, they go on the 74 tour. Did they have an album before they go on tour? Or they go on tour before they got an album. I'm trying to remember if they, because, okay, so the, the tour they go on is in 74. So, oh, yeah. Well, no, yeah, because Burn is released uh, February of 1974. So they release Burn, mm -hmm. and then they're like, all right, let's go on tour. Okay. Which is crazy to think that because, like, you figure, right? In 1973, at the end of the second tour in Japan in 1973, two pretty key members of this band drop mm -hmm. out. They replace them pretty much instantly and then rec and then have a, a record write and record an entire new album with a new lead singer and a new bass player and set out on tour i mean if that's not the fastest like it's a, recovery it, like i don't know you know what i mean like and you know okay so let's talk about uh mark three and their debut album uh burn now uh if you're like into deep purple too like we really didn't talk about this but um highway star is their opening like deep purple's really famous for their opening song and their yeah. closing song yeah um famously once highway star was written that was deep purple's opener yeah always it never changed until mark three comes along um richie blackmore i think is the primary songwriter for burn um and that's the, I mean, I mean, don't, not talking about the whole album. I'm really talking the single. Um, so the song Burn ends up being written. Um, it's got a great riff, and it almost hits like Highway Star a little bit, and that becomes their opener now. So Mark III's got a new opener. Yeah. It's Burn. Um, if you want to see, for my money, the most epic performance of this or like of Mark III, I feel like they're, they're, this was their, I think it was their first real American uh coming out for uh mark three and it's a uh, california, california jam, jam 1974 yep um black sabbath's on the bill deep purple's on the bill i forget who else is on the bill yeah uh, i don't know those them. are the only two but it's that I it's know. sabbath and then after sabbath uh gets up and this is a huge concert uh broadcast i think on abc yeah at the time too so yeah, yeah, yeah. um there's guys, plenty of footage yeah it's not footage on youtube if you search california sabbath Rams, sabbath uh, the both sets are awesome yeah, i watched both amazing. of them the other day yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh uh Sabbath come out to War Pigs, but the real awesome Sabbath uh, song in that set is Children of the Grave. Yeah, I was going to say Children of the Grave. I mean, there's a... And the coolest thing about this concert, right, uh, is there's thousands and thousands of people, thousands, like a sea of people, and the, the band is playing, uh, both, both bands are playing behind a rainbow. Yeah. Which is so rainbow. ominous for Deep Purple, which yeah. is amazing. That's yeah. why I really I think it's such a powerful message. So Sabbath takes the stage. They are they're they're good. It's a crazy good set. Yeah. Um it's I think it's kind of more like a volume four era. Yep. 
Um, so they're playing that. Um, they're taking the stage. It's it's great. Um, but then Sabbath leaves, right? And Deep Purple go, we're not going on until the sun is setting because we're Deep Purple and we're here to make a statement. Yeah. We're Mark Three. No one's seen us really. This is our first big, you know, this is this is who we are now. Yeah. So they make the entire sea of people. And I say sea, it's a sea. Yeah. It's wait. Cr- like when you watch it, it's I crazy. I think they, I don't know how long they waited, but I think it's at least like two hours, something like that, between Sabbath and Deep Purple. Yeah. Which is like almost riot inducing. But when Deep <laughs> yeah. Purple hit the stage. Yeah. Oh. So, so good. Richie Blackmore comes out and. They start. They're gonna play "Bird," their opener, their new song, new band, and Richie Blackmore like plays this opening riff so slappily, like the is like feedback. But then when the drums kick in, yo, boom, the band locks in place. Like everybody's eyes are like fire, yeah. and you get David Coverdale coming out. He's got long hair. He's singing amazing. Yeah, this is this is the pretty white snake David Coverdale like. Yeah, he's pure... super I think he's super young too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um I don't know how old he is, but I think he's like either super early 20s or like 20. Yeah. Um and they I mean that whole set from them at California Jam is just so it's a band on fire. It's a band back to prove themselves. It's a young singer saying I'm now the singer of this band. This is this is what it is now. Yeah. You may have heard that other stuff, but baby, it's time to burn it. Yeah, it's yeah, time yeah. To burn it. I would say honestly, I would say that that vocalist switch. I mean, maybe not it's as successful good. too because I feel like Coverdale is a better singer than Gillen. Not that I enjoy, I enjoy Gillen more. Yeah. But like, if I'm talking like who's a better singer, it's Coverdale. I think Coverdale's the better singer. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the other difference with uh, Mark Three too is you get Glenn Hughes adding vocals too. So Glenn yeah. Hughes takes um like maybe like the bridge of a song. He can double up on the choruses. So the band sounds fuller vocally too, yeah. which is I think oh it's amazing. I was initially confused too when I first heard it because I was like, it sounds like there's two separate people singing here. Yeah, you know. And definitely. then I looked, I, you know, I obviously looked into it further, and I was like, oh, because there are two people singing here. Yeah, you know. But it's a burner, man. Pun intended. Like yeah, it's a good. I, okay, so I sat down and the other day, like I've listened to all the Mark Three albums before, but um, and my my thought was, okay, I've heard these, and you know, that was kind of it. I heard these. I don't hate it. You know, da 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 da. But um, I'm a Mark II guy. I'm yeah. still a Mark II guy. But when I went back, man, I really reevaluated uh, the Mark III records. Uh, and I, I thought they were amazing, man. And it makes, it makes I was sense super too. into them. And, you know, like, even like Mark II, like, I like all the, more of the songs on Mark II. But the, the albums Stormbringer and Burn from Mark III... I felt were the most were very cohesive records. Yeah, there and there wasn't a song on there like you know I was just poo poo and Mary Long over here. Yeah, yeah. But there's not like a song on that on yeah. these two records. It's not as there there you don't have as many like weird like goofy lemon songs. Yeah, or like you know? maybe like uh, Gillen's not as strong as a writer. Yeah, you know. Um, and I feel like these two records really came out cohesive. Yep. Um, also, like what. Uh, the other element that Mark Three was bringing in was the funk, bro. 
They're oh bringing, yeah, they were bringing the funk. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to Stormbringer, and there's like some Stevie Wonderish style keyboards being played on those. You know, like oh man, I'm so glad you said that because yeah. I was listening to it and I went, oh, a little Stevie Wonder there, huh? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I did the same yeah. thing. I did yeah, the yeah, same thing. That's very interesting. Yeah, man. Yeah, and 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 to be fair, again, I mean, just speaking to Burn, right? In contrast to who do we think we are? Which, if you think about it, who do you think we are? probably should have done like in theory right should have done better than say burn because burn is like it's not the trusted mm-hmm. tried and true deep purple it's it's uh, it's kind of riskier there's a new bass player who's also doing vocals now and you have a different vocalist but burn actually wound up doing better in both the uk and in the u.s than who do we think we are i think it's because that single was so strong yeah burn. I, I, and yeah. two guys like when that like when I went, you know, I listened back to, I heard like Coverdale really bringing in the next era of like vocalists and yeah. the styles of bands. Like when, I, you know, cause I mean, you can't front that white snake really helped usher in uh hair metal. Like, yeah, I'd say white snake and like what Van Halen. Yeah. Quiet but, Riot. Those were the bands that. I mean, UFO kind of did too. Yeah, but I mean, I I'd say like Van Halen. I never think of them. I think of them in California. I don't, I don't think of them as hair metal though. I think of them as like different. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. But I get you though. It's that. that but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. Kind of ushering the, just the, the new guitar era sound. Of rock. Yeah, the new era of rock. Yeah. Th- this, yeah, actually, like Burn and Van Halen one probably go very well together. Even though Van Halen one's what seventy seven, I think. Is it seventy seven? Yeah, I where Burn so. is seventy four. Yeah, yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. Like, it, like but it, Burn and Stormbringer, I think, kind of give you what's to come of just rock and roll and and it like the iconic sort of seventies rock and roll. Right. So you know uh, that seventy four tour, like they just keep touring right into seventy five too. Uh yeah because the, okay so Burns released in February of seventy four and Stormbringer is really is released in November of oh 74. yeah I read that too and that blew my mind I was yeah. like, that's so fast and the, that's I, so fast considering I thought the albums also sounded very like not they sounded similar a very cohesive but I would say that Stormbringer, Stormbringer was definitely I feel like where uh, you still had the lingering uh, classical guitar and yeah. organ sound coming yeah. out in Burn especially on that single the. That was amazing, but um, Stormbringer, I felt like by the time in this is like months, it kind of got taken out, and I think Coverdale and everything got bluesier and funkier. Yeah, bluesier, funkier. Yeah, and kind of went, but it's that it's not heavy blue. It I mean it is heavy blues rock, but it's not like uh yeah. I know we keep referencing this band, but it's not Zeppelin. It's not that at all. Right. Yeah, and with I think with Burn, like definitely with Burn, there's when I listened to Burn, you can listen to it and kind of come to this conclusion. Now I don't know that this is exactly how it played out, but Burn to me sounds like okay. Well, who do we think we are? Came up like you know, say they were working on Burn before Ian Gillen actually left, before whatever you know, they have a couple of sketches, they have some things planned out. You know, Glenn Hughes and Coverdale come in. Hey, guys, we have, you know, just these sketches that we just want to see through. Okay, that's why we feel the linger of who yeah. we think we are. Where Stormbringer comes in and it's like, no, this is the this is the new Deep Purple sound. Yeah, and you know, I feel like... For me, anyway. No, 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 I hear what you're saying with that. And uh, I feel like I this is why I, I think that is coming across. I feel like, Burn, you're getting a lot of Richie Blackmore uh, influence but then when the months months go by they keep touring i think Richie blackmore is getting more 
uh, disillusioned with Deep Purple. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's talk about it, man. We're, you know, we have been talking about it, three different lineups. And by the time Stormbringer comes out, I heard on Stormbringer uh, a disinterested Blackmore. Now, a bad Blackmore, uh, bad Richie Blackmore, but not disinterested, maybe uh, less uh, involved. Yeah. I felt like I heard uh, Hughes and Coverdale's influence on Stormbringer hard, 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 yeah. hard. And I heard Blackmore kind of being like, eh, this ain't my deal, but I'll still play to my abilities. Well, that would end up coming kind of to fruition because and in 75, I, I, Blackmore leaves. Yeah, and that's me saying, too, I really enjoyed both of these records. Yeah, oh, as did I. Yeah, and I I probably enjoyed these two records more than I uh, enjoyed Who Do We Think We Are, which is, you know, so. Yeah, I would um, agree with that for sure, though. Also, that comes up Mark Three is uh, Made in Europe. Um, I'm not actually too sure when this album com- came out. That came out also in 1974. Oh my gosh, are you <laughs> kidding me? Three yeah. albums one year? So yeah, they that was recorded in London. This band was trying to burn itself out, like no pun intended. But um, right, is this the one that was recorded in London? Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, this is uh, this is made in Europe. Made, so, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is that record. Um, and I listened to this as well. Um, yeah, Blackmore's on that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this it's is, 74. This is yeah. the last Blackmore record. Right, so that is absolutely 1974. So in 74, they released two studio albums and a live album. Play California Jam. Intense. (laughs) Managed to do all of this stuff, but then, you know, Stormbringer wasn't as successful, say, as Burn. You know, it kind of moved down. It was only, like, number 20 in the U.S., but, like, it did okay in the U.K. It reached number six, but Blackmore, like, like you said, you could hear it in his playing. He was very much disinterested. And in 1975, he's like, yeah, I'm out of here. He leaves. Now, Blackmore leaves, and he links up with Ronnie James Dio, who is fresh coming out of this band called Elf. Yes. And he's like, hey, let's form a band. And, you know, it's it's ironic that, like, the that Mark III would be defined by California Jam, which is adorned with a rainbow, only for Blackmore to leave in 1975 to form a band called rainbow yeah heavy, heavy <laughs> foreshadowing you know yeah yeah so uh but rainbow is i mean rainbow is great yes that's what's i and, mean uh, it's, i think that's what we're going to end up really covering uh in the next episode that we do i think we're going to really cover the after effects of deep purple right which yeah. is you know rainbow and black sabbath and you know all that stuff that comes out of it i think we're going to really intertwine what happens with these bands and you also have white snake that goes off and does their thing it's and the like you know there's white snake records with ian pace and john lord on them yeah so you get this interesting like the bands break apart um it's it, that story uh, next week that we're going to bring you on the wrap-up is a very i feel like that's where we're going to put it all together for you and really show you the influence the history and the legacy of yeah. what all the bands that came after and it, I feel like, you know, yeah. it, it's Deep Purple was really just a treasure trove of amazing musicians, amazing styles, and, you know, they really influenced their peers because when their peers started breaking up, Deep Purple get, just kept getting cannibalized over and over and over again Oh yeah, into different bands. Yeah, and then, so I'll say, like, since, since we're in 1975 here on our timeline and, and Blackmore leaves... Um, when Blackmore leaves, Tommy Bolden comes in. Oh, we didn't even talk about Come Taste the Band. Come Taste the Band, 1975. I forgot all about it. So Mark IV happens then, in, yes. a, in a way. But yeah, no, so absolutely. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Mark IV, because Mark IV is probably the least important 
uh, version of this band. Yep. Um, but also, it had to happen because it really they needed to plow it into the ground. It needed to be done. Yeah, it was just like they so just put the band out of its misery kind yeah, of thing. So know? from for from what I gathered here is Blackmore. Obviously, we've been talking is disinterested in these new styles um, that are coming out of Deep Purple, which is mainly funk and more blues influence. Um, now the other band members are kind of going along with the flow. They they want a different sound. They're evolving. They, they're changing. Um, this is also in the era too, people of. Um, progressive music deep purple was born out of the 60s yep. and were a, a band who were constantly progressing their music um now you think about the beatles sound different than their first album to the last album very different progressive yeah uh the beach boys different progressive kept changing as a band and i feel like deep purple was a part of that uh legacy where we really don't have that a lot now we have a i think we have a lot of bands stay in their genres um don't really like to change don't like to do that stuff and this was the era of radically changing your band over and over and over again yeah. because that's just what they, people were doing they were trying to innovate well i think that's what made that made all of the like the participating members and musicians really good musicians yeah man. definitely different different you know. styles um, so Blackmore becomes disinterested. He leaves. Um, Tommy Bolin, famously of the band Zephyr, yeah, which, which Luke just happened to just buy a Zephyr record the other day, not even realizing. Yeah, guys. So I've had the Zephyr record sitting around. I have it in the bin sitting behind Mike over there, actually. It's sitting over there, and yeah. it was scratched so bad, and I couldn't listen to it. And I was always like, this record looks really great. Um, so I found a copy the other day, finally. It was on the cheap, and I... Uh, put it on it was zephyr's first record and uh i really really enjoyed it uh like heavier rock kind of stuff you know nothing nothing mind-blowing but it was a great fun record to solid. listen to yeah solid record yeah. um and then as i listened to come taste the band again i was like oh that's tommy boland yeah that, so he was also tommy boland was also in james gang after joe walsh left yes correct uh another fun fact if you go to the mystic disc and ask owner dan curlin uh, he used to jam with uh, these guys back in the day, Zephyr. Oh, no way. Yeah, when uh, he lived out in Colorado. Well, we're local to Connecticut. Uh, Mystic Disc is in Mystic, Connecticut. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he was telling me where I bought this record. He was like, I brought it to the counter a couple weeks ago, and he went, oh, yeah. He's like, I know these guys. I used to play with them all the time uh, when I lived in Colorado. <laughs> I was like, you did? And he was like, oh, yeah, great guys. <laughs> so interesting little backstory there. No way. Yeah. yeah that's um, cool. So I went to reevaluate Come Taste the Band, Mike. I, I put it on the other day, um, and my first thought was, this is not Richie Blackmore. Yeah. And so for me, it didn't really sound deep purpley. Yeah. But having said that, and having just listened to the Zephyr record, or Zephyr, whatever you say, um, I enjoyed the guitar playing. It came in many different styles. Yeah. Um, But like... When I listened to it, I was like, this could be any guitar player, right? Yeah. That, that was my issue with it. Yeah. Um, Come Taste the Band, I didn't hate the album, just like I was talking about that Zephyr record. Like, I didn't hate that either. Um, I just found that like it, this wasn't my uh, wasn't my bag necessarily. Like, I, like um, the song Lady Luck on here, I wasn't super into. Um, but then there were other ones, like The Dealer I was into, uh, you know. And there was just, yeah, it, even like uh, 
on uh, John Lord's organ sound on here. I didn't hear just, it. Was, di- was it just different? Yeah, it was different. Very different. It wasn't confession. Co- I did not listen to Come Taste the. I mean, I I think I've heard. You mean you have definitely listened? to Yeah, this. we've spun it, but like not really like actively listening. To yeah, I actively listen to this. Like uh, this time around on here is John Lord's like organ thing, and that's where you kind of get back to that a little bit. But it's definitely not what it was. Um, and actually, a uh, fun. Because I, I, I listened to this record and I went, wow, this is so different. And it's the funkiest one yep. of like, you know, the of the era. You know, they're getting funkier, funkier. This is the climax of that. Uh, and I I had read that uh, Coverdale actually, because John Lord was like, we're done. John Lord and Ian Pace were like, this is, we're done. We've yeah, had enough. Yeah. And Coverdale begged John Lord, hey, we please don't break up this band. Please don't break up this band. Like, let's just keep it going. We'll keep it going. And John Lord only made this album because Coverdale was really, all like really the one saying like I'll I'll take control I'll get it all done let's yeah. just help me keep this band together let's just yeah one because more. John Lord uh, once Blackmore leaves John Lord is comes back to de facto leader of Deep Purple right right so you have you know the power struggles in the band but you have uh, John Lord at first is really the creative uh, force and then Richie Blackmore kind of takes over definitely takes over. To become the creative force and then you know once blackmore leaves again you kind of have john lord stepping up back into that position of of power yeah um so yeah tommy bolin yeah like a lot of different guitar styles uh not as much organ definitely like almost none of the uh classical influence scales mm. runs none of that going on yeah none of the highway star like kind of riffs going on the faster harder riffs uh you know, me and you were talking about like uh, Metallica influences on uh, Fireball. I didn't find any of that really here. It was a uh, kind of a blues rock affair, blues funk. Would you say that it was? It's it's a um, it's a safe album to make. Uh yeah. I mean, in the way that it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll you throw know, together some rock songs. I don't even know if it would be safe. And... Like, wouldn't it be safer for Deep Purple to make a record that sounded like Deep Purple? Yeah, maybe. That that's what I felt. I felt like this was a really almost like ambitious record. Like hmm. they were trying to re- uh, reinvent the band uh, again. Yeah. They were like, "No, now no, this is the band." And when it came, this one came out. I don't think anybody was buying it. They're like, "No, that's not the band." I mean, I wouldn't say. Okay, well, let's let's look at this this way then. Like another band that went through several lineup changes. Say like Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Where? Oh yeah, definitely. I, you know, the later, the the late, really Fleetwood Mac. The later stuff mm-hmm. is the most known stuff. Yes. I mean, okay, you have your purists who know all about Peter Green and like the original Fleetwood Mac Where, and stuff Mike, like that. We're, Mike, we're in America. Nobody knows who Peter Green right, is. Right, right, right. For those of you who don't know who Peter Green is, look up Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. It'll blow your mind. It's amazing. Let's, He's like, you got an upcoming episode. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll do him. But um. But in contrast, Deep Purple, not so much. Like huge success, kind of in this in the in the middle of their career, mm-hmm. and then you know, yeah, it's just like you know, again, Mark Three is great, but Mark Four happens, and you just hear it, and you're like, eh. Yeah, I definitely. But that being said, guys, that being said, my main thought when I listened to Come Taste the Band was, if this said any other band name than Deep Purple, people would be singing the praises of this record because it wasn't bad. You think, yeah, it was think not so? a bad record. Like I want, I want that to be known that I don't think it's a bad record. Right, I think it's not a deep, a great deep purple record though. Mm. It's a great uh, heavy rock band. Like if this was like um, one of those bands that got dis- rediscovered, they only made one album and yeah. this was it. You guys would be drooling on it. It'd be it's that it's it's a good record. Yeah, it's just not a great deep purple record. Well, it's kind of like 
you look at Metallica, right? Like later on, you hear like load and reload. Not that yeah. that's my cup of tea. However, you're like, oh, this is a this would be a good same thing. This would be like a good standalone kind of like heavy metal album. But you're just like you want it to be Ride the Lightning, and because you want it to be or Master of Puppets, and because you want it to be that, you hear it and you're like, eh. Just like with this, it's like you want it to be Machine Head, or at the very least, you want it to be Burn or Stormbringer. Correct. And you're like, eh. yeah, that was my disappointment. Yeah. Though I will not follow you into that load or reload are good albums in any sense. Of I'm any, not any, listen, any, but I get the I get the uh, the metaphor. It was good. <laughs> Those of you that like Metallica, you keep enjoying them. Uh, lo- no, listen, listen, Luke, Metallica keep making millions of dollars. He's, listen, you guys, they can you keep know, suing Napster. <laughs> yeah, they keep suing Napster. I just can't do it. No, and I can't either, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like it's it's fun when you listen to it, and it's like goofy. Give me fuel, give me fire, yeah, you know, yeah, wow. it's ridiculous. But it's not. It's <laughs> it's no, you know, Cliff Burton era no. Master of Puppets no. either, though. You know what I mean. But either way, so I think that about wraps it up. Just for the coverage of uh, uh, Mox Marks, I always say Mox. I don't know. Mock. Mock. <laughs> Mox. I, so that about does it for Mox number three and number four. Yeah. And um Yeah, so that that's basically the uh the first wild ride of Deep Purple. Um yeah. next episode, I like I said earlier, we're gonna uh talk about the other bands that came out, the offshoots, the effects, um, and maybe kind of just uh, give you a good like little wrap up of uh yeah. what we think, what we love, uh and uh, you know, maybe we'll throw you out some uh, recommendations of some stuff you should listen to to go along with Deep Purple, uh, yeah. like maybe like a video stuff like that. I know we've been throwing recommendations along, but uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll give you the good uh, the good uh, what happened after. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that about wraps it up for Deep Purple. But real quick, of course, we always like to end our um, you know our our broadcast. Even though it's not a broadcast, uh, with uh, kind of what we've been listening to podcast. Luke. Podcast, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Mike, get it together. Listen, it's been a, it's been a long day. So uh, I'll ask you the question that you were going to ask me, Mike. What have you been listening to? Because uh, like, I mean, we cover this on our show again, guys. Uh, we do our. What are we listening to? I have an Instagram. I'm Julius underscore Records on Instagram. I don't know what Mike's is, but uh, you can find it on the page. Um, at my Instagram, I am spinning records all week. I'm everything I'm listening to. You can know. So. Anyway, yes. mine is E underscore M underscore T underscore one. I haven't been spending a lot of records lately, though, because my stylus is pretty in pretty bad shape. And it's like in the place where it could probably ru- be a record ruiner shape. So I have to order a new stylus. So uh, you've been doing the digital thing? Yeah, I put on some cassettes the other day. Though. You put on some cassettes? That was fun. I listened to All Things Must Pass. Oh, okay. Oh, do you have the double cassette of that? Uh, I do. Oh, very cool, very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, So I did some All Things Must Pass. I did uh, some ACDC. Oh, well, obviously. Well, let's let's talk again. All Things Must Pass. Me and you know who wrote that album, but maybe someone doesn't. Who oh, wrote that album? Uh, George Harrison, formerly uh, of The, the Beatles. Beatles. Um, the Beatles. Two, uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Everybody, low-key, it's the, it's the best Beatles solo. Yeah. It's the best Beatles solo record. I think so. It, I mean, it's, Nobody touches it. Yeah. Lennon comes close on Imagine and the first Yoko, uh, Yoko, the first uh, uh, Plastic Ono band. That's oh, what yep, I was trying yep. to say. Record. I like the first two Paul McCartney al- albums, though. You like the first Paul McCartney album? The first one's all right. I, I mean, I prefer Ram. I love Ram. I hate McCartney. I hate Yeah, that, right? really? I listen, yeah, because I, I mean, I love Maybe I'm Amazed, but like I listen to it and I'm like. I'll say that it wasn't 
I, my I, favorite. No, I listen to it and I'm like, oh, these are great demos. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> also, I loathe the song Teddy Boy. Uh, I can't. Teddy Boy. <laughs> I just can't do it, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. McCartney got a little goofy. Sorry, I I, um, I took over your conversation. You're no, 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 that's you're, okay. You're that's listening okay. to All Things Must Pass, George um, Harrison, great Beatles record. Yeah, I uh, I got? played a little bit of ACDC. What's that? Jailbreak '74. Oh, oh, that's one. That's my favorite ACDC. Uh, come on, so good. Jailbreak. <laughs> How do you make it out, man? It's so good. How do you make it out? Listen, with a bullet in his back. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, I I did a couple of cassettes, which is you know which is always fun. Uh, and then yeah, I mean I do a lot of I do a lot of digital because I have you know I have like a half an hour commute to work and stuff. So you know it's I throw on the Spotify and I listen to a couple of things. Uh, recently, I've done some of the uh, the meters. Yeah, I'm really digging the meters. You know, Sissy Strut's kind of like the that's the meter song that I think is probably the most recognizable for most people anyway. Where are the meters from? Like, where are they from? I mean, you gotta tell, you gotta tell people, people, not everybody knows who the meters are, man. Well, the meters were, they were John Bottom's favorite band. Yeah. Uh, and they're, yeah, they're, they're like a funk band. I don't know where they're from though. Oh, bro, come on. I know, I'm sorry. Guys, I'm putting Mike to school over here. The, uh, caught me slipping. The meters are from New Orleans and oh. backed many, many, uh, New Orleans musicians back in the day. I think oh, they're from okay. New Orleans. Man, I said that. What if I'm wrong? I probably am wrong. Yeah. I think well, they are, though. Let's look it up, guys. We're going to look it up. on you, man. Jeez. We're going to look it up. Give me crap. Um, well, while Luke looks that up, I've also kind of taken uh, uh, sort of a, I don't want to say a darker turn, but um, kind of been doing a little bit more aggressive music. Uh, oh, well, you, you got oh, it. Oh, before you get into your aggressive music. Yeah, the meters are from New Orleans, guys. Uh, they back Dr. John on his... Uh, Oh, Must yeah. have been the wrong place. Must have been, been the wrong, wrong time. Uh, yeah. yeah, meters are. I believe they're on like almost every influential uh, New Orleans like record. From, oh yeah, huh? yeah, from like a certain period. Yeah. they're uh, the equivalent to uh, Stax band. Uh, gotcha. That now I can't think. The Wrecking of. Crew? No, not no, the Wrecking Crew. That was Stax is Booker T and the MGs. Oh yeah, they they got like a Booker T vibe. Uh, but you know they're the New Orleans version of that. I feel. What's what uh what aggressive um, music you got over there? Yeah, man? I just uh I, I I was feeling a little bit um inspired to listen to some some heavier music. Uh, as like I said last week, I kind of touched on a little bit of Megadeth, so I was kind of feeling like, oh, I want some heavy metal. Um, I listened to a band called Death. 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 They are uh, like a Miami-based, or they they were a Miami-based uh, death metal band. Chuck Schuldiner, the lead vocalist and guitar player, is. I mean, arguably credited with creating death metal as a genre. He was kind of like the first guy to do it. Yeah, it's a bit intense for my... Uh... Yeah, let's not necessarily Luke's cup of tea. I went through a pretty crazy metal phase in high school, so... I'm, um, I'm more of a... I'll get aggressive with my punk music, not so much my metal. Yeah. Um, and then I did like some Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> oh, okay. And then Six Feet Under, because the lead singer of uh, the band Six Feet Under used to be the lead singer of Cannibal Corpse. Okay. So there's, you know, there's that. Um, I just some Hendrix. You know. I I enjoy that Mike knows a lot about like metal music. I feel because that's just never been my cup of tea. And like yeah. you know, sometimes he'll bring stuff to the table, and I'll be like, mm, no. But you know, other times he'll bring me stuff, and and you know, I'll reevaluate it a lot of the time, and I'll listen to it and really think about it. Like I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, he he's he's uh made me even Deep Purple. Like you're yep. the you're the one that was like, yo, Deep Purple guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yo, this band. Yo, that but band. I mean, but even bands like Deep Purple kind of set me on that kind of a trajectory again to just listen to heavier music and discover different things. And I mean, I you could say that you know you listen to a band called Death, which 
you know, is are one of like the first of their kinds of bands in in a similar way where you have a lot of these iconic sort of heavy hard rock bands like your Sabbaths, Deep Purples and stuff who were kind of a, a similar thing in their day, you know, so... Uh- so, you know, and especially with Death too. Death, they're very, very technical. They were bringing kind of this different thing to the metal thing. So, metal scene. someone's interested in listening to Death. What record would you set uh, them off with? The Sound of Perseverance is one of my favorite albums. It's probably it's probably because it was the first album that I actually listened to. Uh, it's later in their career. It's the second to last album they released. So, th- uh, Chuck who was the principal songwriter, vocalist, guitar yep. player, all that stuff. Uh, he was actually what's funny is is even though he was kind of like the creator of death metal as in a, in a way as we know it uh he was really trying to get away from it oh so are, is this almost like a queens of the stone age situation where josh hame does not like the genre of music he created yeah like stoner rock right he or stoner metal or whatever it. yeah 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 he's not into that at all yeah. he's like uh yeah you guys took that music uh you enjoy it it's not my deal Yeah. even though i guess some people would say uh queens of the stone age are a little uh stonery but yeah I would say, like, yeah, same thing. He was trying to get away from it. Similar, yeah, in that way where he's, like, he just, you know, he didn't want to keep doing, like, because the, the kind of vocals, you have, like, two kind of vocals in death metal. You have the really low, like, blah, 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 kind of thing. Or you have kind of the higher pitch, like, yeah, like, growly kind of thing. And that's what he was doing, you know. But he, again, yeah, he was trying to move away from that. He wanted to make things a little bit, I think, more melodic. Maybe even, dare I say, more radio-friendly. He he kind of wanted to go into the, if I don't know if you guys know the band, Queensryche, but kind of more in that, that area where it's kind of like proggy I think power I think pop what, metal I think what you're saying too with uh death has a lot to do with what we we're talking about deep purple and uh the this the uh era of bands progressing yeah. and it became more as I feel like as the record companies and started to really form around bands and stuff in the 80s uh late 70s I feel like they were more inclined to trap them in the box that they had been oh, shipped absolutely. in absolutely. and would not let them leave the box. Yeah. They're like we like the box we bought that box I don't want to put you in another box. Yeah. I didn't buy that box. Yeah, so with Death I would say that the most approachable album granted it is heavy metal it's death i mean it's metal, called death. you know so it's you know so if, but i'd say the death most metal's your bag yeah i'd say the most uh the um entry level of uh listener friendly album is the sound of perseverance and um symbolic are the two like later albums but if you want to go before that you can go to an album called human there's another album called leprosy uh they they similarly uh to deep purple had several lineup changes with chuck Schuldiner being like the only the principal who, the principal yeah uh the main member several different lineups and stuff too but yeah i don't know i really like them they bring a lot of like weird uh time signatures in it's kind of like it's kind of like if uh if yes was a death metal band oh that's great you know what i mean like they can kind of they they did some cool stuff and they influenced quite a bit of uh, music to come after them so um but luke on the other hand right on equally arguably uh heavy music in 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 a way what have you been listening to okay so guys i have had like an issue with the uh quote unquote San Francisco sound for my whole musical life. Now, I feel like on, on this episode, I've been uh, been really going like, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like this. But I, for that's how I am. I'm, I'm like, I don't like it until I'm convinced otherwise. And guys, I often am. I really try to yeah. have an open mind. I really, if I don't like it, I'll listen again. And I can, I can attest for that absolutely because there have been plenty of bands where I'm like, hey, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, and he keeps saying no, 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 and then eventually he does, and he's like, yeah, man, sorry, I should listen to you. Yeah. So and vice versa, though, he does that for me too. So the San Francisco sound has been tough for me. Uh, like, I don't like the Grateful Dead that much. I don't really like Quicksilver Messenger Service. Uh, and which brings me to this point: 
uh, Big Brother and Janice, uh, I was also not a super fan. Like, I didn't, it, it, like, and again, guys, none of this music is like, turn it off if it was on for me. It's just not my first grab is what I'm really saying. Um, I'm more of a who guy, you know, a who stones. Yeah, more of more of like the the rock and the roll English interpretation. <laughs> well, no, like but but the English interpretation of rock and roll and blues. Yeah, I'm more of a on that end of the spectrum, uh, as opposed to like the I just the San Francisco end of it. But um, yeah, and like I, I'm guys, I'm not a big dead guy either. But um, I digress from that. I put on. Big Brother's first album because I I sat down I was like man I gotta give this a chance again you know I gotta give it a chance so I put it on Big Brother's first album I loved it I loved it It I loved every song it was awesome it was fun it was cool um I didn't feel like super challenged uh I feel like my coming in with Janis Joplin I listened to Pearl first because I thought that's where you started and guys I really I still don't dig Pearl at all. Um, but I really, I, I dove deep into Cheap Thrills and Big Brother's first album. I mean, Big Brother's the band of both of these, Janis Joplin's the vocalist. Um, yeah, Big Brother and the Holding Company. Yeah, and it's, uh, I really enjoyed the first two albums. Um, I also really enjoy uh, Cosmic Blues. But um, yeah, just really getting into Big Brother, though, I enjoyed these records a lot. Um, if you had maybe listened to Pearl like I did and found that Janis wasn't your deal, uh, Big Brother might be more of your deal. And yeah. I really enjoy these records quite a bit. Um, other stuff I've been listening to, man, I cranked the band's Brown album the other day. So good. Yeah, the band. Um, if you're not familiar, the band, Woodstock, Bob Dylan's back in band for uh, his 65 tour. Um, so yeah, I played the band's Brown album. Man, it's great. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I put it on. Master songwriting, and man. I was reminded what I already knew that every song in this album was like... Yeah, the songwriting, like yeah. the song, that's the songwriting. It's, if you wanna, yeah. if you wanna listen to a band, the band that really rewrote songs, like rewrote how people were writing songs, the band's Brown album is pro- and their first album, Music from Big Pink, 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 uh, is probably two of the most influential records of the '60s. They, where everybody was going heavy, they went soft in country, and I love them. But it was still so, it's so good, though. It doesn't even... The rock and roll spirit of the band's Brown album is just like, it sends chills up my spine yeah. all the time. The band were a band's band. Yeah, and with the exception of uh, Levon Helm. All Canadian. All Canadian, yeah. Um, Levon was the, he was the, yeah, the also, purebred Southern man. Also, too, if you uh, like the band and you've never listened to All Things Must Pass, or if you like All Things Must Pass and have never listened to the band, I think those albums complement each other very well yeah. because George Harrison at the time was obsessed with the band. Yeah. Obsessed. Likewise, Eric Clapton was too. The song when... All Things Must Pass he, uh, was written as a band parody. Oh, no way. He was trying to write a song like the band. No and way. And that's what he came up with, was All that. Things Must Pass in that style. Highly huh. influenced. So, I mean, uh, the other day, I mean, I listened to the band's album, and then I uh, I wanted to hear some Bob and the band, so I put on Planet Waves. I love Planet Waves. Dude, I, Planet Waves. It's such I'm a good so, album. I'm sorry. I got so excited. Most people don't like this album. Yeah, right. Planet that's, Waves, that's... I think, is, uh, yeah, 1974. Uh, Bob Dylan, the band, um, I love this record. Um, everybody knows Forever Young. Everybody knows th- that yeah. song. That's the single off this album. Um, on a night like this, the album opener, amazing, amazing, amazing. Tough Mama, 
great song. Hazel, something there is about you. The only one on here I have a tough time with is uh, Dirge, but it's a it's a very it's a dirge. It's a hurtful song. Yeah. It's very emotional, very powerful. Um, would I would say maybe almost bring me to like some. It's a it's a very filled song. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, I really loved uh, Bob Dylan and the band's Planet Waves, nineteen seventy four. Um, and again, Dylan has such a great catalog that his his records that are, are like aren't you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like this isn't highway highway, you know. 61 or whatever yeah it's not another side of bob dylan yeah it's not uh, another side it's not the freewheeling it's not you know blonde on blonde yeah which i love all those records it's not that record it's a different record and it's just as great it's just a it's just you know when you're bob dylan you have so many great records that they all can't be talked about in the same light <laughs> right uh planet waves deserves its time in the sun listen to it don't sleep on yeah it. great album um and I think that's... Oh, I also listened to some Carol King, guys. Uh, I yeah, mean, the I, lo- only, I love putting on some Carol King every now only, and again. Carol King's my uh, my rainy day. Or maybe I'm like, I need to like uh, maybe take care of myself a little bit. And it's too late, baby. Yeah, it's too late. Though we really did try to make it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's... Um, Her, James Taylor, you know, it's... it's yeah, James Taylor's singing on there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. Carol King's Tapestry is what we're talking about. Yeah. The only Carol King record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the only one that matters anyway. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I've been listening to again. Uh, oh, man. Check out Get in the Garage on Instagram. Uh, I believe we're at G-I-T-G. Yeah. So our, that's, and that's our email address to G, uh G-I-T-G podcast at gmail.com. Yep. So, uh, again, check us out on Instagram. Yeah, uh, we're on all social media. Yep. Platforms. If you go on the Get in the Garage Instagram, too, uh, me and Mike's uh, Instagram accounts are, are linked on there. So, you can, uh, yeah, you can find us, us easier. I'm Julius Records. I don't know what Mike's is. It's too complicated. You got to change that, bro. You got to change it. <laughs> it's too many underscores. But, uh, um, yeah, guys. But uh, yeah. I really hope you join us again next week where we talk about uh, the fallout of deep purple and their legacy and uh you know everything that came with the uh the aftermath yeah 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 so definitely uh thank you for joining us yeah we really appreciate you guys who are listening and uh we'll see you next time get in the garage man get in the garage this has been a presentation from the wasted robot network For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.